What is one of the most controversial topics facing the church today? Calvinism. It's the Calvinist-Arminian debate. It splits and divides many churches, sometimes friendships. So today, in appreciation of last Sunday, October 31st, Reformation Sunday, we take up this topic. So stay tuned. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Keith Crosby Out of My Mind. This is podcast 061, podcast 61. Today, we want to have a biblical conversation with you about this crazy world in which we live. So join us over the next 20 minutes or so as we provide you a bird's eye view perspective of a complex issue confronting our culture, the church, and you as we apply God's word to make sense of it all. At the end of the podcast, we'll point you to additional resources just in case you'd like to dig a little bit deeper. In the meantime, let's get started. All right. Well, it's not often that we do uh, kind of a different, uh, more specific to a specific day uh, podcast where we talk about, you know, this Reformation Day. Um, and so why uh, address this debate now? Why, why pick it up? Well, because I think Reformation Day, Reformation Sunday, 1517, over 500 years ago, is an important milestone in the recovery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I also believe it helps... Uh, clarify things that aren't necessarily clear to, to many people. I, I'm often asked, where do you stand on the Calvinist-Arminian debate? And so today I thought I'd talk a little bit about that. All right. So uh, I guess the question then is, where do you stand? Do you stand with those who believe that God uh, freely offers salvation to all men and women, or those who believe he offers salvation only to those whom he has chosen or predestined, as uh, the Calvinists may say. Okay, well, so what we're trying to do here, and what you're doing here, is what most people do, and that is to try to distill this down to the simplest terms possible and break uh, Christendom down into two types of people, Arminians and Calvinists. Yeah, I would say that's basically the question I'm asking. Okay, all right. Well, those categories are the categories that most people choose to line up alongside but the question is, what do these words mean, Arminian, Calvinist? Most people really don't know, and as a result, they often preload them with understanding that would be foreign to those who held those beliefs originally and to many who hold those beliefs today. Moreover, a few people, very few people, have really taken the time to understand the position in a thoughtful or thorough way, and they end up wasting a lot of time and energy debating it at church, sometimes damaging relationships by exchanging barbs of some kind with those who hold a different view. So, Mark, let's take one of the most misunderstood uh, concepts that I can think of, and that's the acrostic TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. Are you familiar with that? Oh, yeah. That's uh, that's the thing that they derive from the five points of Calvinism, right? It's, uh, what is it? It's total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresponsible grace, and the perseverance of the saints. Well, I don't know about irresponsible grace, Mark, but it would be irresistible grace. But yes, we'll, irresistible grace. We'll show grace. you some responsible grace along those lines. <laughs> I yeah, appreciate those are, it. Yeah. Those are what are popularly called the five points of Calvinism. But they were developed a half a century after Calvin's death, and he would be unfamiliar with the tulip. Total depravity is misunderstood to mean that everybody's just totally bad all the time, and that's just it. But that's not really what it was meant in its original concept. Total depravity referred to the fact that the human race, the total human race, is tainted by depravity. It's not that they're as bad as they could be. 
It's that they're not good enough to meet God's perfect and righteous standard. And unconditional election means this. You don't bring any righteousness to the table on your own. It means that you are chosen by God, not because of something special in you, but because he is a grace-giving God. Limited atonement is one that really hangs a lot of people up. Here's what it doesn't mean. When it was originally conceived of 50 years after Calvin's death, it meant that the atonement wasn't applied to everybody all at once when Christ died on the cross. That would make everybody saved because all of their sins would be atoned for. What it does mean is that the atonement, the power of the atonement, is limited to those who embrace Christ and believe. That his atonement would be sufficient to save everybody, but it is only efficient for those who embrace Christ by faith. So it's not like his power or his atoning power was limited, and many people misunderstand that. Irresistible grace speaks to the fact that God can do what God wants to do, that no one can resist his power, that he is sovereign. It's not that he doesn't give us a free will. He doesn't cause us to uh, violate our will, but his grace cannot be resisted. Perseverance of the saints involves the fact that if you are saved, you will be eternally secure, that the true believer will persevere in their faith until the end of their lives. Now, whether you accept my definitions or not, and those are the ones that I've studied in reading material on both sides of the equation, I hope you'll see that and listen to this. People cannot simply afford to misunderstand these concepts because it leads to division and unity, and this ought not to be. And just to show you how misunderstood some of the, some of, some of the folks are, I want to read something to you to illustrate my point. Here's something out of a commentary on John's gospel, on, the, on John 3.16, which apparently when you read it, argues for the so-called anti-Calvinist position without naming it. The writer states that God offers salvation to all freely so that all are without excuse. And I want you to listen to what he writes. So he's commenting on the phrase that whoever, whosoever believeth on him may not perish. And the commentator writes, it is a remarkable commendation of faith that frees us from everlasting destruction. And he has employed the universal term, whosoever, both to invite all indiscriminately to partake of life and to cut off every excuse from the unbeliever. Such also is the import of the term world, for God so loved the world, which he formerly used. For though nothing will be found in the world that is not worthy of the favor of God, yet he shows himself to be reconciled to the whole world when he invites all men without exception to the faith of Christ, which is nothing else, which is nothing else than an entrance into life. So you see what's going on there. This commentator insists that salvation is offered to all people, that God loves the whole world, and so he just offers salvation to all people everywhere. Okay, so it doesn't really seem like there's much of a surprise there. I think uh, when we look at it, you know, there's definitely the Arminian types that would say uh, that God invites all men without exception to embrace Christ by faith, by freely offering salvation to all men. And I think underscoring on that all piece is, is a very strong point for the Arminian folks out there. And I'm sure that Calvin has written on this too. Uh, so what, do you, what did Calvin have to say? Well, what I want to do is take the same exact verse and go to Calvin's commentary on the Gospel of John and read to you his commentary, okay? So here's the phrase, that so whoever believeth on him may not perish. And John Calvin writes, 
It is a remarkable commendation of faith that frees us from everlasting destruction. And he has employed the universal term, whosoever, both to invite all indiscriminately to partake of life and to cut off every excuse from the unbeliever. Such also is the import of the term world, which he formerly used. For though nothing will be found in the world that is worthy of the favor of God, yet he shows himself to be reconciled to the whole world when he invites all men without exception to the faith of Christ, which is nothing less than an entrance into life. Wait, I I think you just read the the other definition, the Arminian definition uh, commentary again, right? Uh, Actually, no. I read Calvin twice. They say the third time is a charm. So listen to what Calvin has written because all three of these are the same quote. It is a remarkable commendation of faith that frees us from everlasting destruction. And he has employed the universal term, whosoever, both to invite all indiscriminately to partake of life, that's everybody, and to cut off every excuse from unbelievers. Such also is the import of the term world, which he formerly used, though nothing will be found in the world that is worthy of the favor of God, yet he, God, shows himself to be reconciled to the whole world when he invites all men, without exception, to the faith of Christ, which is nothing less than an entrance into life. So your confusion is understandable because most people don't read Calvin. They read about him. They hear about him. They hear things that he supposedly said or believed second or third hand. And it's really unfortunate because... There are so many people who hold beliefs about Calvin and Calvinism that are beliefs that his followers never held. And I bet you can name some of the beliefs about Calvinism, some of the negative things you hear. Oh, yeah. I think, uh, I think those, are, those are definitely plenty. And I think one that immediately comes to mind is that, is that Calvinists and Calvin don't or really didn't take evangelism seriously because evangelism uh, is is not really necessary. If God knows who he's predestined or who he's elected, then they're already saved and they're going to be coming anyway. And so uh, I, I've definitely heard a lot of people talk about like, well, I, why do I need to evangelize then? Well, you know, you hear that, but again, that just reveals uh, a lack of familiarity because really the two of the most prominent evangelists in church history, itinerant evangelists, these are traveling evangelists in church history, were Calvinists. So who are those guys? One was George Whitfield, who is, was part of the first Great Awakening. Uh, he preached in the coal mines of, uh, of, of, of Wales. He preached in the United States. He spoke to crowds of 10,000 at a time without a microphone in the 1700s. He, he was just this uber evangelist. And the second one, of all people, was a traveling evangelist who once spoke to a group of 250 Catholic monks with over 100 of them responding to his invitation to embrace Christ, and that was none other than John Calvin himself. That was before John Calvin settled in Geneva, Switzerland. Speaking of misunderstanding Calvinism and evangelism, we all know about the very famous, famous, famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards, and you know the story. He goes to this church, which is this unresponsive as anything, and he, re- he reads this sermon, and the people start crying out and embrace Christ with this powerful, gut-wrenching sermon. But Edwards was a committed Calvinist, but he was a very powerful evangelist. And so I think sometimes people say, well, Calvinism is bad for evangelism. They probably don't understand Calvinism, and they probably don't understand evangelism. Yeah, I think that's a good point, and I think that, uh, you know, that's where the saying, like, people are more Calvin than Calvin was. Um, and so I, I think we kind of see what you're saying there. 
but what would you say then is the difference between the two opinions or positions of a of Calvinism and then Arminians? Okay, what I want to do is I want to show you what they agree on and then use that to sort of uh, pivot into what they disagree on. Both belief systems, Calvinism and Arminianism, believe in predestination and both hold to election. Wait, those are those seem to be the points that I've always understood to be the ones that they disagree on, but you're saying that they both agree. Yes, they do. They both agree that God chooses, that he chooses before the foundation of the world, that he elects, but... What they disagree on is the reason for election and predestination. You see, both systems use the Bible. They both have Ephesians. They both have Romans. They, they have the same Bible, and so they end up using the same terms. But what they do is provide different rationales for each reason. The Arminian holds that God looks down the corridors of time and chooses or predestines or elects people based on a on their future choice of him, that they will look to him and in faith and righteousness, and they will pray to receive Christ. So they believe that God looks down the corridors of time and chooses based on what he knows will be your, the action that you take when you hear the gospel. Now, have you heard that before? Okay, yeah, I think that definitely sounds like what I've heard um, about classical kind of Arminianism. Okay, so here's the trouble with that. God is responding to our works. That's work salvation. God looks down the corridors of time and chooses us based on how we're going to respond to the gospel. That's the basis of some future work. And why would this be a problem? Well, listen to this. This is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Verse 10, for because we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Any good work that we might have done or do is a work of God. Okay, well, it would seem like there you'd want to unpack kind of verses 8 and 9, right? Well, and we will later in this week's podcast, or as it looks like next week's podcast. But the source of any good work we do is God, works which he prepared beforehand, like the Bible says in Ephesians 2.10. Now, remember the context of Ephesians 2.8 and 9, and that's Ephesians 2.1 through 7, and I want to read that quickly. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that for the purpose of, in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God isn't responding to something that we do. He's not. Uh, 
And, and on the contrary, if you go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, I want you to listen to all this predestination and election language and the action that God is taking here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be blameless and holy before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, in which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that, And then jump into verse 13. In him you also, when you first heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. So, you know, Mark, this is why both systems have to employ the same terms, because the terms are found throughout the Bible, election, predestined, chose. And this is where the why is so important. Why did he choose us according to the counsel of his will? And once we are saved, we cannot lose our salvation, right? We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, not our conduct. And a lot of this flies in the face of a lot of popular Christian culture that is uh, viscerally Christian, emotionally Christian, but lacks the understanding of the doctrines and teachings that are the underpinnings of the Christian faith. And so what we see here is it's not just God looking down the corridors of time. This was all purposed beforehand. He even purposed the works we would do that we would walk in them. So that's it for today. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Wait, if you, wait, wait, wait. Wait, oh, wait. I, I think we've got a couple more minutes here. And uh, I don't think you ever really answered the question that we had at the beginning, which was, what do you believe? Where do you stand, Calvinism, Arminian? Where, where do you stand in that? Well, first of all, I don't like the terms because they're not found in the Bible. But having said that, uh, I think we're going to have to continue this discussion next week. But, but let me answer your question in brief. In the meantime, folks, stay tuned for part two next Wednesday. What do I believe? I believe that our belief is the work of God. I believe that no one can come to Christ unless it is the Father who draws him or her. I believe that no one can come to Christ unless it has been granted by the Father and I believe that those who embrace Christ will be raised up in the last day, reunited or united with their resurrection bodies and seated in heaven, eternally secure, because that's what the Bible teaches. Okay, so maybe just real quick, uh, where do you get all of that from? I get that from the lips of Jesus to our ears, you might say, in John chapter 6. So let me sort of walk through that also. John chapter 6, verse 28, the Jews were fighting and fussing with Jesus about uh, what must they do to do the works of God? How, did, how will they make themselves righteous in the sight of God? And we read in John 6, 28, Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, and watch his play on words, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. 
John 6, 37, he goes on to say, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever he gives to me I will never cast out. And then in John 6, 44, and there's your eternal security. John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Moving down to John 6, 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Works don't do it for us. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some among you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. In John 6, 65, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted by the Father. And then John 6, 66, we read the uh, reaction to this teaching. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They turned away from him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he was one of the twelve who was going to betray him. Okay, so... Oh, 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 no. So we are out of time, and we will finish this next week. We've only got 20 minutes, Mark. And I think this is something we need to come back to, and I want to flesh this out some more with you uh, next week. But in the meantime, that is it for today. Thanks for joining us. Come back next week for the conclusion to this exciting podcast episode. If you like additional resources, you can visit us online at www.gracetoliveradio.org and hit the resource button. If you have questions, we'd love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about Hillside Church, visit our website at www.hillside.org. We worship at 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. You can watch us online. Uh, you can join us on Monday nights for our young adult service, The Foundry. We have youth group on Wednesday nights, women's Bible study Thursday mornings. There's lots to do here. Visit our website. In the meantime, give us a good rating on your platform. Share us with friends. Send links to your friends. We want to expand the reach of this ministry. This is Keith Crosby with Mark Stickler saying God bless you and God bless you.